Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, I'm really excited to have with us uh, Anu Koivistu, who is a sports dietitian at the Norwegian Olympic and Paralympic Committee. She works with both Olympic and Paralympic sports. She's also a two-time Olympic swimmer herself uh, for her home country of Finland. Welcome to the podcast, Anu. Thank you so much, Liz. It's such a pleasure to be here and share some some of my experiences and knowledge working with the para-athletes. Yeah, well, I, you've got some really great experience, so I'm excited to explore that a little bit more. But can you start us off by telling us a little bit about your history as a, as a dietitian? How long have you been at Olympia Tappan for? Yeah, sure. So I am... Um... As you said in the introduction, I used to be a swimmer. And uh, while I was studying, doing my uh, registered dietitian studies, I was gonna, uh, I was asked to come and uh, start to work or help uh, the personnel at the Olympiad Open Norwegian Olympic Sports Center to work with swimmers since I had the swimming background. And of course, I said yes. And this is back in 2006. So... While I did my master's thesis on uh, elite athletes, I already started to work with the athletes at the center. Uh, at that time, I was working mainly with Olympic uh, athletes, but uh, some sports in Norway are really well integrated. So in swimming, we also had uh, great cooperation with the Olympic and Paralymp- Paralympic swimmers. And uh, But after a while, um, I started to also work more with the Paralympic athletes and uh, we really started to uh, focus more on the Paralympic athletes I guess around 2016 uh, early 2017 so um, the last last four years five yeah five four years I've been working a lot with the Paralympic athletes and uh, had the, the main responsibility for both preparations and executing the nutritional support at Paralympic Games since 2018. Yeah, terrific. I, I remember meeting you in person for the first time in Pyeongchang. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and it was really great that there were actually some sports dietitians with the Winter Paralympics. Yeah, that was the first time that Norway decided to send sports dietitian to Paralympic Games. So previously we only had dietitians at the Olympic Games and in my opinion, it absolutely should be both at the Olympic and Paralympic Games. For sure, there is need for a dietitian at Paralympic Games. Yeah, hear, hear. And so do you find working with or how you approach working with Olympic versus Paralympic athletes, is it the same or do you find it a little bit different that you have to change anything in your approach when you're first meeting up with an athlete? Yeah, Liz, well, it's, it's really kind of different worlds but at the same time it's uh, the work with nutrition with the Paralympic athletes can be quite similar to the work with Olympic athletes depending on the physical impairment the athlete has uh, at the same time the there is such a great variety in different types of physical impairments and uh, it's kind of even more demanding to really understand the energy demands um, and all the things that are related to kind of to be able to just show up to the trainings because we've seen we've been doing um, this kind of um, assessment of health and monitoring of health of all our Olympic and Paralympic athletes for 
several years and uh, there is also a couple of publications mm -hmm. on that from my colleagues and it's clear that the Paralympic athletes do have larger health burden than the Olympic athletes and when we've been looking into it we see respiratory infections but also a lot of gastrointestinal problems that explain uh, the loss mm -hmm. of training days and it's not just infections or poor hygiene or anything like that. We've seen that it's a lot of things connected to their gastrointestinal uh, trouble with uh, neurogenic bowel, for instance, for those with spinal cord injury or spina bifida. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of a lot of things that I work with are more related to making sure that we have the nutritional support to keeping them as healthy as possible. Uh, so they actually get to do all the training they need to do to improve their performance. So mm. for the Paralympic athletes, the nutrition support is to a lot larger degree uh, related to health. While, of course, we work with performance nutrition and all competition strategies and so on. But it's always important to have the understanding of of the impairment and the sport in combination to make sure that the nutrition support makes them stay healthy and perform at their best. Um, so that the difference, yeah. and I need to be honest, you know, when I started to really dig into more Paralympic sports, I kind of, I've learned a lot. I've really learned a lot. And we've been having these mm. kind of discussions with our uh, interdisciplinary team at Olympia Toppen and really thinking that we need to understand more about the physical impairment because it kind of dictates a lot of things, how they should be training. Is it uh, cerebral paresis, for example, which might also affect the cognitive, cognitive function? So how do we inform the athlete and educate them and and provide them uh, consultations so they can easily understand it and actually do it in their in their everyday mm. lives so it's all these barriers that Paralympic athletes are used to themselves but those who haven't been working with those uh, Paralympic athletes need to really kind of ah, yes. become more aware of so the message we give them the the, the training the support is really spot on. And then again, coming back to the yep. the health issue, to making sure that that they actually get to train the way they are supposed to train. But there are a yep. ton of things here, Liz. So I could dive into with the with everything that is more specific <laughs> to the situation, like with the athletes and uh, competing in Tokyo, for in instance, and the issues connected to thermoregulation of those with spinal cord injury. And so we need to really have. I feel in in a way that we need to have even more knowledge to be able to support the para-athletes as compared to the Olympic athletes, especially those who have physical impairments that really affect a lot of things like their energy needs and their body composition and, and the GI function and urine, uh, urine tracts and all those things. So it's kind of very, very complex. And that's mm. fascinating because I think that if we really can understand the whole situation uh, we can make a huge impact on the athlete's performance. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I love the fact that you work in an in a interdisciplinary team. Do you feel like you've had to become a more, 
I was going to use the word flexible, but it's perhaps not the right word to use in the way you approach educating the para-athletes? Do you feel like you've had to be more versatile? Yes, I, I really think so because the, the at least in the Norwegian Paralympic population, you know, the age uh, range is huge. Uh, and as I mentioned, the physical mm. impairment range is huge. You know, you can have uh, an athlete with, with a visual impairment or you can have an athlete who has multiple physical impairments, you know, sitting in a wheelchair and, and, and doing a, a sport that is a technical or tactical sport. Uh, and it's totally different mm-hmm. professional support than than this athlete who has a visual impairment. And it's really basically pretty much training the same way as the Olympic athletes or even training with them. So uh, yep. uh, so I think it's it, it really requires more kind of background check so when I'm doing an assessment, mm-hmm. when I start to work with an athlete, it requires a lot more questions uh, and really understanding, you know, the background and getting the whole full picture of the athlete, of their personal things, of their impairment, of any potential medication, of, you know, their training load, their performance goals, how long they've been in the sport. Because we also meet some Paralympic athletes who who have started with sports at uh, at an older age and haven't really been through, yep. you know, those years where you develop your understanding for elite sports uh, because they probably started yeah. with sports after an, an acquired injury. So it's a lot of things to think injury, about. Yep. And, uh, you know, what we do, you know, is we're trying to make a change, a difference, and it has to be something that people can really do something about. So adjusting your message and uh, what is you, what is the thing you have to start with first when you're providing nutritional counseling requires mm. really quite some background check on several ways yeah absolutely and I, I you know i think that's a really good point that you make that the the training history that some of the athletes have is actually relatively mm. short and when you work with olympic athletes you can pretty much guarantee that they've been work, they've been in their sport since they were kids and so they've been brought up with a good knowledge and background of being an athlete and and, and of their sport whereas with some of the para athletes they they may be completely new to being an athlete and to the sport that they're training in and they just don't have the same understanding of really what training principles are about how you apply sports nutrition you know some of that really core fundamental knowledge that you develop over a long period of time is just not there so it's almost like you have to fast track them but in a way that they can cope with that they're willing to you know take on board that information yeah I think so absolutely and uh, so we could have an athlete who has um, just been in the sport for maybe three four years and they're already going to the Paralympic Games and uh, as you know you need to talk about the training principles and how to adjust the training load and how to listen to your body in addition to trying to you know inform them how to fuel themselves and maybe they have been reading some magazines or some articles uh, that are quite very general. And as we know, everything is pretty much uh, towards the Olympic athletes. And it's not always something you mm. can translate to every Paralympic athlete. So I feel often that I need to kind of correct 
the recommendations and uh, and discuss it with the athlete and really tailor it to to a yeah, larger degree. So we so it's it's quite interesting yeah. really uh, to meet these athletes that can be 30 35 years old but they have very short time in sports and we really can help them to understand both the sports and try to give the additional support but you know it can be also too much information uh, so oftentimes i really need to be careful mm. not to provide too much information but just you know started with making the taking the baby steps yeah yeah so sometimes you have to start with really really core fundamental principles around eating frequency for example just eating regularly through the day may be the only thing that you work on with with an athlete when you first start with absolutely. them absolutely i feel that is kind of the backbone of of the diet for most of these athletes and you know accessibility to foods can be a challenge you know in the winter time in norway it's a lot of snow if you sit in a wheelchair you, there can be days that it's almost impossible <laughs> to get out you know how how do you do your grocery how how do you plan your days uh how is it going to be so i think that it's really kind of starting to think about like okay how do you eat how do you eat healthy um how do you have a good meal frequency your meal pattern how does it look like uh we have seen that there are and there are some articles absolutely that there are some shortcomings in the paralympic athletes diets and for sure we've been doing this nutritional screening of our athletes besides the health screening. And and we do see that um, mm-hmm. there are several things, uh, like if we look at micronutrients uh, deficiencies, I think it's more important always to try to translate that to which food groups are lacking in their diet. So, you know, classic thing like you have mm-hmm. too low vitamin D and uh, iodine, for example, Perhaps it reflects about the fish consumption or you have low folic acid, both, you know, several may have that in their pie chemistry. So the blood samples and then poor folic acid dietary intake and poor fiber intake and several vitamins related to perhaps, uh, and like vitamin C, so fruit and vegetable intake. And we do see that um, mm. there are very few who are able to consume the five portions of fruits and vegetables per day. And then, trying to understand it like is it something that it's not a preference or is it if is it a challenge of not knowing that that's something that is good for you or is it did perhaps they don't want to have all that fiber because they have gi issues and it makes their Hmm. makes their um, problems with the neurogenic bowel even worse so it's kind of really trying yep. to dig a little deeper um like what is the real reason that they are doing the things with their diets uh it can be knowledge but it can also be many other reasons like i just mentioned the accessibility or mm-hmm. or some other uh issues and this is something that i really learned with my work with the paralympic athletes that for instance this week don't want to consume uh, foods too close to training because those with neurogenic bowel, they might experience uh, incontinence. So they they have leakage of their bowel yep. and it's absolutely not something that they want to train with. Uh, so I think it's important to understand no, I, that instead yeah. of just pushing, you know, you, you should eat this. And, and so now I'm aware and it's an important question to address because we can really help them with that as well. Or another issue would be, 
athletes who then uh, don't want to consume adequate fluids because the abdomen pressure and all that, you know, during their exercise also make affect their illicit from urinary tract. So a lot of things mm, you're yeah. maybe tracking hydration status for an athlete and it's consistently poor and you're trying to get through the message that you need to consume more fluids and you're even making them a daily plan and you know until you realize that okay there is another reason for them not drinking then they're just not able to drink and it's yeah yeah it's something that that's what i mean by making a thorough assessment prior to your providing nutritional help for these athletes yeah for sure so Can I go back to one of your earlier comments around the medical surveys that you've been doing or your assessments that you've been doing and you found that there's a higher rate of gastrointestinal issues that are faced by the Paralympic athletes for various reasons. Have you found any really good solutions that have helped athletes? Like what are some of the tricks that you use and and some of the tools that you use to help to address those GI issues? Yeah, <clears throat> as I mentioned, so for the paraplegic athletes, the, the difficulties related or the problems related to GI tract were the, the main reason for days lost from training. And uh, for the whole parapopulation, mm-hmm. it was the second largest illness burden uh, just after respiratory tract infections. And so we got really interested. And mm. at first we were thinking that, you know, it's just the GI infections uh, until we realized that, no, it's really not. There are other things related to to those uh, challenges. And as um, it was just this paper published recently where I was a, a co-author as well, and we were explaining it that um, for us, it's very difficult to address which of the actions we did uh, was the most impactful since we work in a multidisciplinary team. So uh, me and the, the mm. CMO of the Paralympic team, we had several discussions and 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 started to do um, call it several interventions to improve it, both re- with regards to medication and and of course nutrition. So nutrition wise, I kind of really try to observe what are they what are they doing. So we really realized that of course, not surprisingly, we do have also a, a certain number of athletes with IBS in the Paralympic population. So um, of course then we can start to use those interventions that are related to IBS from you know everything from the basic things of meal pattern and fluid and avoid consuming um, Caffeine and high fat meals and uh, all these things that mm-hmm. might affect uh, IBS even more, but also the food map approach, which we've uh, had uh, quite nice success with some of the athletes. And then we do have this uh, neurogenic mm-hmm. bowel. Then we try to. I've been talking really a lot with my colleague who's working with uh, in a rehabilitation hospital here in Oslo, working with non-athletes but who are who has spinal cord injuries, it's a rehabilitation hospital, and uh, Mm -hmm. discussing, you know, their approach um, as well, especially with this uh, neurogenic bowel and trying to really find the the, the perfect fiber load. So for some, it might be too large if you try to put it up to 25, 30, or even 35 grams per day. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we might have to think about we need to reduce that some, but in general, for most of the athletes, it was quite low 
uh, and poor fiber intake in the first place. But as I said, it's very important to find out because I yeah. also had some athletes consuming like 60 grams of fiber a day. So, um, so I think wow. it's very individual. So we need to find out what's the reason mm-hmm. for those uh, GI issues. And, uh, and really, we do also have like we have, of course, loose and frequent stools and uncontrolled stools and all that. But we do also have a large number of athletes in wheelchair who struggle with constipation. So it really yeah. is, again, if you know it's a constipation, then we need to think about other ways and really also try to look into it, um, as I mentioned, interdisciplinary. So if there are something we can do for those yeah. sitting in wheelchair who only do every training in in that sitting position and if it's possible to also uh do something with that with the physiotherapist or something in addition to of course the nutritional support we do but we i've also realized that i do have some athletes who suffer constipation because they're they don't want to consume the fluids for other reasons as i just previously mentioned Mm -hmm. so uh really trying to figure if it's the fluid if it's the yeah, fiber so you have to be careful sorry. with yeah you have to be careful with increasing the fiber if they're not contributing exactly enough fluid because then you can exacerbate their constipation so yeah so it's a you know you have to kind of take a, a multi-faceted approach and um having the medical people and and the other support staff who can you can collaborate with to get a wider picture of what may be going on you know that that must be really a useful thing to be able to do yeah and it's a practical solution so i think also is the key i just give you a, a, a brief example on trying to find how we can see where the barriers are for not doing kind of the right thing mm-hmm. so when it comes to avoiding urinary tract infection for example during a long haul flight for those in wheelchair, we need to make sure that they're able to access the toilets or if they're using catheters, like how can we make sure that it's as hygienic as possible? So when we're going mm-hmm. to um, to the Paralympic Games, we had to make a schedule when we go through and ask all the athletes, do they need to get to the toilet? So make sure that they're actually don't avoid drinking because they say that it's impossible to go to the airplane toilets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, then again, you know, the yeah. nutritional and help of consuming uh, three deciliters fluid uh, per hour wouldn't help them if they're not <laughs> able to use the toilet. No. Yeah. No, if anything, it's going to make exactly. it worse. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we know that with travel, there are definitely populations who uh, are in the para groups who do tend to incur a substantial dehydration for a number of reasons and and then you have to work really hard on rehydrating them at the end considering you also work with you know obviously we're coming up to the Beijing games and and you're working with the Paralympic team do you find that there's a number of the winter sports where that's also an issue because of accessibility to bathrooms you know for example on hill uh for skiers and snowboarders like how have you found a way any special ways to be able to help those athletes yeah that's a good question because i i, I absolutely see uh, the challenge both in paralympic and olympic populations who don't have access to toilets i think male athletes mm-hmm. uh, at least what i've observed 
much easier. Yeah, it's easier for them. Yeah. So it's mostly <laughs> for female athletes and female coaches. And we were discussing a lot of this, you know, being at the hills, there are quite high altitude and the, the fluid requirements are indeed elevated. So it's important to make sure that you stay hydrated. I actually had one athlete with uh, acute mountain sickness due to a large degree of dehydration. Uh, so I've experienced that as well for mm. several years ago now. So we've been discussing this and there are a lot of kind of this, um, I, now I don't get the word, but like tents that you can blow up so it's kind of like a windshield oh yes yes and it doesn't weigh a lot yeah <laughs> so i would recommend everybody all the coaches at least or somebody in the team to bring <laughs> one of those uh, so you can make your you know a place where you can have a little privacy uh, in a the hill bit of yeah. private space <laughs> so i think that's been that's been one solution and then um because i've been asked this question mm-hmm. like how can should we then just like overhydrate the evening before or how should we do it as well it's good to think about the hydration the day before and the evening before but if you're trying to like kind of think about really making sure to get the fluids in in the morning then you will have a problem at the hills but for sure the solution is not to drink so we're really trying to find solutions and uh, make it possible for everybody to stay hydrated when they're having the long sessions at the hills with no access to proper toilets. Mm, absolutely. Can I ask where you get most of your information from to help you problem solve? Do you, do you find that you get that from research articles or from books or more from speaking to the athletes and speaking to your colleagues? Well, I think everywhere. Uh, I'm very curious. So I'm really trying to follow all the recent research done in the field. You've done a lot of excellent research lists. So I I dare to say that I read, if not all, so 90% of your publications and uh, have your book <laughs> on my desk uh, just staring at me right now. So um, yes, absolutely. I think that's very important to know what's done. And at the same time, we need to stay curious. So I think it's important that we read also literature beyond the sports literature when it comes to para-athletes so we can see what's done in, you know, uh, cerebral paresis, population, or nutrition, what is done in spinal cord injured athletes, not athletes, non-athletes population. What do we know uh, on that? And then, then of course, uh, also from the Olympic side, so you need to know what are the recommendations and what do we know for the Olympic athletes and then trying to somehow, because we don't have the same amount of literature yet in Paralympic athletes, so trying to use your clinical education and, you know, trying to translate that and for sure, reach out, talk yeah. to others in the same situation as yourself. And I'm really happy that I have colleagues who are working with this type of population that are non-athletes, so I can just hear, you know, their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, you know, working with the interdisciplinary teams. So from, you know, the doctors, the physiotherapists, the psychologists, I think we haven't touched at all the, the mm-hmm. issue going to body image no. and uh, prosthesis and, you know, how do you feel when you don't look the same as the others issue and uh, yep. and talk to the coach, talk to the athletes, really ask the athlete all the questions. I usually say that, you know, I'm quite straightforward. So I will just ask you a lot of questions. So tell me, stop when mm. I, when you, when you don't feel that it's okay. And most of them are really like somebody <laughs> shows interest and re- really cares about them and really yeah. wants to understand 
how their you know how their body functions how they're doing their body sports, works so. yeah I, I think you know that's one of the things that I've always found is that the athletes themselves are a, are actually a really good source of information about their specific experiences and and if you want to try something it's always useful to run it by them and say well what do you think is going to happen do you think this will happen or this will happen and, you know this is what we're trying mm. to achieve this is the process i'd normally go through so what do you think will work and and they they're part of that problem solving process um completely yeah you you must get them with you and they really want to and that they really want to do that because uh, sometimes you might uh, have uh, an athlete visiting you because their coach wants them to be there and then you can just mm. uh, think about where does the motivation lie really here is it because the athlete wants it and is aware that this is something we can improve and will make a difference or is it so that it's only yeah. the coach that really wants this to happen and there are certain insecurities or again called these barriers for the athlete to execute those things that we would like them to do mm-hmm. so important to get the athlete on board and uh, explain exactly what you said what do you think will happen if we do this is it a good idea yep. do you want to do this and perhaps they might say no and then yep. you might meet them a year or two after yeah. later and they say you know you mentioned about this strategy maybe we could try it now yep absolutely because i think like you know you have the the benefit of being able to follow through with athletes over an extended period of time which means that there is that opportunity but planting that seed early and being willing to let it sit and you know evolve and having them feel comfortable enough to come back to you later on and say hey i actually now i'm ready to to try that i think that's a really nice working relationship to to have with an athlete yeah it's kind of giving them some space and uh, and like we talked earlier in this podcast so we do get athletes with very short sports career behind them and they're getting probably a Mm. lot of information so it's kind of weighing like what is Mm -hmm. most important information for them to get right now and then you know i might back off for a year and just yeah we just looked at the meal pattern and that's it see you in a year and then we start to talk about more details like your specific nutrient needs or we're going to start to tailor your competition plan but just yeah Yeah. really try to listen to the athlete and see where they are in their career Mm. yeah so Anu do you have any I mean we've pretty much covered it now but do you have any specific recommendations for sports scientists coaches other practitioners when working with para athletes I think I think the important thing is to be curious really try to find out everything you can about the athletes about the sports about the impairments uh, and all that's possibly could affect their nutritional status and their routines so also thinking about the potential challenges with accessibility and so on and look at look in their their living situation as well so really trying to cover it all and then make if it if it's possible to follow up for a long time make a kind of plan prioritizing just a couple of things where do you think what kind of intervention or action would give best benefits and most effects so you start with the with the kind of the easiest tasks that will benefit the athlete the most 
And oftentimes yeah. I actually see that, again, going back to where we started, it's those things to make sure that they're able to show up in training. So what are, whatever keeps them from mm-hmm. training. So we try to help them to be able to stay healthy, stay as functional as possible so they can train because that's a prerequisite for them for their performance improvement. So really uh, trying to yep. build it that yep. way. The danger might be that we talk too much perhaps um, about health with para-athletes, but I think it should be just always the the, 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 the basic thing. You know, it's it's the... It's the ground pillars, you know, that's just has to be in the right place. Yep. And then we can yep. just move on to discuss all those competition routines and ergonomic yep. aids and all those things, you yep. know, just trying to figure out uh, how to really take the last pieces of, of, yep. of the potential for improve the performance even more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the majority of the work comes from that day-to-day training consistency, doesn't yeah. it? So if you can get that addressed and get that right, you've got you know, 95% of the way there. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think also just to add it to it, I think it's uh, multidisciplinary work is always important and it's a key really to to lift the athletes. I think it's even more important for the Paralympic athletes. For sure. So what about recommendations for athletes? Do you have anything that you like to recommend to athletes and also thinking about athletes who may not have access to a sports dietitian. So maybe junior athletes who, who haven't got a pathway yet um, or people who are just coming into sport, for example, who don't yet have access to a sports dietitian. Where do you think is a good avenue for them to, to look for information and get support? That's a very good information because I think, uh, I think really for those uh, youngsters, uh, they're probably not that reflected, or or the new athletes in in para sports, probably not that reflecting on where they get their information. So usually, I meet a lot of mm-hmm. uh, athletes who have been reading just newspapers or magazines or something, with kind of uh, a, a, jung- a jungle of dietary advice, I would say. <laughs> and um, mm. so I think it's important, <laughs> a scary to jungle at that, <laughs> educate the coaches. So. I in, in in we're trying to really think about in the Norwegian model now that we need to make sure that the Paralympic coaches are well educated because those are the ones that will see mm. the athletes on day to day basis. They are the ones who can guide these athletes for good information. And when it comes to when it comes to nutrition, international, I, I hope and I believe that most international national uh, sports uh, federations so international no, national paralympic committees have some access to mm-hmm. easy readable uh, advice and uh, and so the athlete can read about the sports specific nutrition and then mm-hmm. of course they would be able to it would be important for them to understand uh, and get information about well how does this affect me with my disability because i think it can be mm-hmm. quite it won't be appropriate for a, um, let's say, um, wheelchair uh, or, or a para curling athlete to follow the dietary guidelines for uh, for the able-bodied athlete who is doing, let's say, four to six hours training a day uh, naturally. So mm, yeah, yeah, like a an elite an elite level yeah, triathlete. Yeah. The, I mean the. 
they're completely different energy demands than fuel demands. Yes. And, uh, so, yeah, being actually understanding the, the demands of the sport and, and then how you apply that nutrition information. Is, yes. It's a critical component. And I think also yep. I've uh, met uh, in several cases when I've had some lectures or workshops for para-athletes, uh, especially those who are new to the sport, that some of them perhaps think, you know, all these sports strings and sports bars are like magic bullets because it just says that it's, uh, you know, mm. a sports product. So since you're a sportsman, then it's something for you. So I had to use quite a lot of time to really explain them the uh what what are these products and why would you use them and why wouldn't you use them and who really has Mm -hmm. a need for these type of products and absolutely trying to find uh food-based solutions uh, and just really explaining that this is just a tool in their toolbox and perhaps in your toolbox you don't need this one yeah Mm -hmm. going back to that example I was comparing the para curling or or, or Olympic triathlete. It's it's quite totally different, <laughs> for sure. Well, Anu, you've had uh, great insights, and I've really enjoyed our discussion. Um, I I want to come back to you at another stage down the track and talk a little bit more, um, maybe specifically about couple of athletes or a specific sport that you've worked with but for now my last question is going to be what's your favorite food my favorite food wow i haven't been asked the question for i don't know maybe for 15 years <laughs> <laughs> come on you're a yes. dietist and everyone asks you, you what you know your favorite what? food is i just <laughs> said two days ago i was making this salmon pasta at home and i said that I still think mm-hmm. this is one of my favorite foods because it's super easy to make. I just ah, smashed carrots, onions, yeah. broccoli, uh, corn, and, and I put it to simmer together. And I add there some some uh, light coconut milk and some, uh, you know, to make the sauce. And then I just put the pieces of the salmon mm-hmm. in while I make the tagliatelle. And uh, it's just super easy with some fresh herbs on top. I just love it. Oh, man, you just made me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Wow. Thank you so much, Anu, for your time. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and I really appreciate your insights. And I wish you all the very best for the Beijing Games. I know that's not going to be the easiest situation. Um, And we were chatting before we started recording about how getting actually on the plane and into the country is probably going to be the biggest challenge most of the athletes and staff face. So I wish you all the very best for that and look forward to being able to chat with you another time. Thank you so much, Liz. It was a pleasure to be at your podcast. Olympia Topham do a great job with their medical screenings and it's really interesting to hear how Anu uses that information to guide her nutrition screenings of her athletes. The food maps that she mentioned for gastrointestinal issues is actually FODMAPs and it's a common nutrition tool used to investigate potential irritable bowel syndrome triggers. Well worth talking to your sports dietitian about if you have any issues along that line. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. As usual, if there are any comments or feedback you'd like to provide, please do so in the comments section of the podcast. And we look forward to having you join us next time.
as we talk to Danny Dutoro, who is a wheelchair tennis player and wheelchair table tennis player for Australia. 